Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here, as usual, with Mr. Keith Myers. Keith how you doing today? I'm doing good. We're back for another show, and we got a special guest this time. We do have a special guest. Uh, joining us today is uh, Sire Poole from, uh, found him on Twitter, actually, and uh, <laughs> glad that he could, glad that he could join us on the show. Uh, now, actually, he's, uh, he's a podcaster uh, with the um, NFL Draft Bible, uh, Sports Illustrated Network, uh, out there doing a show um, called Inside the War Room. And you're sure. a featured writer on the fan sided network on a couple different sites. Uh, Sarai, thank you so much for joining us, giving us a little outside perspective uh, on the Seahawks uh, offseason uh, this year and uh, what we're likely uh, to look at in the draft as well. So uh, thank you for coming on. Well, first, uh, thank you for having me. Excited to uh, talk some football this draft season. Um, it's a little weird. You know, the Seahawks don't have a ton of draft capital, but some moves they can make. So it should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, Keith, how you doing, man? I, you've been so busy lately. We just recorded a show yesterday and then we're back on again today. Um, ha, did you get things done that you needed to get done? No, not at all. Awesome. No. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you made time no. to sit down with us. Yeah. So, but Hey, that's just the, that's just the way it is, but let's talk some football. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Well, let's get, uh, sorry. What's your, what's your background? Like, how'd you get into, uh, writing for the Fanside network, uh, the podcast, um, What's, what's your what's your deal? What's your story? Well, crazy. Um, I'm only 24 years old, so still getting my degree in broadcast journalism and sports media. But um, 
I remember being in high school and um, Matt Miller, who used to work at Bleach Report, who's now over at ESPN, um, they used to do a thing called NFL Draft 400. You know, say, you know, it'd rank and scout, you know, 400 players, you know. So I'd be in class and, you know, instead of doing homework, I'm doing mock drafts on notebook paper, looking at Draft 400 on my cell phone. So I just became a huge NFL Draft follower. And then within the past three years, I kind of just followed it. So the past two seasons really was, I took it a lot more serious, started writing more scouting reports. And um, just writing was kind of a, a passion for me. So I decided, you know, to why not try to reach out somewhere and, you know, try and get my foot in the door. So here I am now, you know, writing for a few websites, you know, doing our thing, like you said, with the Sports Illustrated, you know, in the, inside the word room. So um, a hobby kind of just turned into a passion and hopefully one day it can turn into a full-time job for me. So, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So um, again, thanks for coming on. We're going to get right into it with, um, I just kind of wanted to get your take a little bit uh, on an outside the Seahawks uh, sphere of uh, taking a look inside of some of the things that we've been doing in the off season, kind of give us a grade, if you will, as far as uh, some of the moves we've been making, uh, the coaching change right at the top with the offensive coordinator. Um, like to get that take, you know, first, and then maybe we can get into some of the other stuff that, that everybody's kind of heard about and yeah. uh, interested on that take too. So, so uh, I, I think it was, we can all agree it was time for a change, right? And as far as, far as offensive coordinator goes, you bring Waldron in. Um, I don't know a lot about the guy. We talked off air about some of the guys he coached under. You said Shanahan. Um, I know he's never called plays in the regular season. You know, you said some preseason stuff he's done. But just from what I've read, you know, a lot of people, you know, are saying he, he's bringing in his own scheme. He's bringing in his, no, his own plan of offense, which I think is a good thing. I also know that they gave Russell Wilson um, a lot of say-so in the hire for the offensive coordinator. So, obviously, his plan must, you know, be very interesting, you know, because Russell wanted the guy to come in. So, um I'm interested to see what they do. I kind of thought that late in the year, I think the Seahawks offense got just real simple. A lot of teams kind of understood what was going on, right? We take DK Metcalf away. So, and you know, it's, it's just, they got to get a running game. I know Pete Carroll's old school. He wants to run the ball, but in this new age of offense, everything's about spreading defenses out. So maybe he's going to add a layer of, you know, something to the offense that the Seahawks maybe have lacked a little bit. I know, you know, Lockett and Metcalf all set, you know, record, records in terms of what they did last year you know Tyler Lockett also getting the extension good for him but um it's time for a change man so I, I'm just hoping that we can see Seattle have a good year I feel like Russell Wilson he has you know it was his MVP trophy to lose we can all agree there and it seemed like he started so hot and the turnovers came and the offense was kind of out of whack so maybe this you know this hire can you know kind of light a fire under them they can get this thing rolling yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate overall. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, we started out uh, with uh, Pete Carroll um, after after the first season. We uh, brought in Daryl Bevel as the offensive yep. coordinator, West Coast style offense, um, where where wide receivers are kind of running into space more as far as uh, trying to find openings and creases. And um, so it really depends on a really nice uh, vibe between the quarterback and the receiver group. Uh, it's a little bit more you know, to, to learn and master. Then uh, Schottenheimer comes in. Uh, it's more of an Eric Coriel type offense and um, it was some vertical stuff. And it seemed like it was really working. And then you just saw the limitations about halfway through the season. We couldn't adjust. Uh, the wheels yeah. fell off. We kind of reined it in a little bit and just kind of skated to the end. And it was almost predictable that we were going to be one and done in the playoffs. It was even though we were a 12 one team. So yeah, I share your, uh, your sentiment on the Waldron hire. I think it's going to be a, a very interesting change and a welcome change. I think Russell Wilson will excel in that type of offense. 
uh, more of a rhythm thing, get the ball out quick, uh, move the chains, uh, spread them out. Like you said, with the, with the outside zone and stuff, Keith, what do you, what do you think? Um, Surya, you got a right take there. Um, I think like I, you and I've been through this I think I like, this is a, I think this is a good hire. I mean, you, you take all the creativity of that Rams offense under Sean McVay. And then he also worked under Shanahan for a while. And, and so he brings in from probably the two best offensive minds, he, you know, that's where his experience comes from. And uh, well, maybe Sean Payton fits in that two best, but uh, two best young offensive minds. How about we go with that? And then, um, you know, to bring in pieces of that to Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and, and the talent they've got, I mean, it's hoped that, that some a bit of creativity uh, can actually do something. I mean, Schottenheimer is a great quarterback coach, but he's proven now at three different stops not to be a guy that you want as your offensive coordinator and play caller. Um, and it's it's good to have someone who actually you know will be able to scheme some guys open and, and do some more fun things with the talent that, that's here in Seattle. So, Siri, you touched base on the on the Russell Wilson factor in in the hire. Uh, after that happened, uh, it seemed like the wheels came off uh, the bus just a little bit. Russell Wilson, as he's known to do in the offseason, kind of goes out on a little press tour, uh, plugs a few different things he's working on, and uh, got stopped by, you know, Dan Patrick on a pretty intimate uh, conversation where he opened up. He says, you know, I, I don't want to get hit as much anymore. I, I don't blame him. <laughs> you know, that seemed like a, a normal, logical thing uh, to say, but that kind of started the ball rolling as far as uh, Russell Wilson's unhappy, Pete and, and Russ aren't on the same page, you know, all that kind of chatter. And, and pretty soon, like a guy like Brandon Marshall comes out and says, yeah, I know, I know Russ, he's not happy. And I, I bet he wants to move on. And, you know, the, just everything. What is your take uh, outside looking in on the organization, how they've handled it, how Russ's camp has handled it, where we ended up? Well, from what I've read, um, it's just a lot of, a lot of things I've been reading is that from what I hear, Pete Carroll really doesn't have to answer to anybody because the ownership situation in Seattle is a little weird from what I read, right? So mm -hmm. um, I don't I don't really know that, you know, if you guys want to give me more facts on that, feel free to. But just from what I've read, you know, he, a lot of people say that he doesn't have to answer to anyone. So he's kind of just kind of doing what he wants to do. And I, I, I do it. I love Pete Carroll, but I kind of do think he's an overrated head coach. Um, and I do think that um, in the Legion of Boom era, the Sherman, the Earl Thomas, the Cam Chancellor, you know, the team was built around the defense. You know, it was Russell Wilson kind of coming into his own. We don't need you to turn the ball over. So I think for a while, Seattle put off building around Russell Wilson for way too long. And I think they moved on from those guys too late. Should have traded Sherman earlier. You know, Ch Chancellor had to retire because of injuries. We know how the Earl Thomas situation went out, went out, went out, went out. but um, I think they just waited too long, man. And I think that and the prime Marshawn Lynch area, you know, it was run the football. It was, you know, play behind the play action. Just let Russell just kind of be a game manager. Then he comes out to be, you know, a, a great quarterback like he is. Times have changed. I think Pete Carroll is kind of just lacking behind in the sense that, yeah, you can still run the football, but you also have to let your quarterback be your quarterback, man. So, like, I, I just – if you were really going to trade Russell Wilson, it's going to take a ton of picks, right? And that's why probably why Chicago, who doesn't have a ton of capital, right, <laughs> to, to make the deal get done – um and Russell wants to win right he 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 aspires to be like Tom Brady he wants to play into his late 40s like Brady he's made that very clear he's so competitive he wants to win um 
Russell going public about it obviously didn't, you know, make them happy. And but what else do you want him to say? I don't want him to get hit anymore. He's he's your you got to protect your investment, right? So you go out and you you make the the trade for Gabe Jackson, right? So you get some some help on the offensive line, but you still needed the the tackle and guard situation has kind of been a revolving door for a long time, right? They kind of just kind of plug and play guys in. You got swing tackles moving around, so it's been a while since Seattle has had like a consistent offensive line and that bothers him dude he's been sacked more than any quarterback since he's been in the league as a starter so I mean if you look around the teams the Chiefs right we see what happened when they didn't have any tackles Tampa Bay just destroyed them up front front seven was awful um Tom Brady right so you have to protect your investments man if your quarterback is not protected it makes life extremely hard in a day and age where edge rushers are just becoming extremely more talented more physical more athletic so just on the outside looking in, I, I think they just kind of put off building the offensive line, you know, too late. And now they're paying the, the, the benefits for it. Um, see, it's it's best for both sides for them to finish their careers together. Right. I, I think that Russ is going to be just as successful in Seattle. I don't think that Chicago would be a better fit. Um, just figure it out. Right. You're going to have to figure out how to draft well with the three picks you have and in the future, the 2022 draft and so forth, you're going to have to, you know, when the cap situation permits itself to spend some money in free agency because Russell wants to retire here. And I think they want him to retire here. So um, I just think that they just have to figure it out and work together. I know that, you know, after the Super Bowl, they said that Russell had some plans he wanted to have, you know, you know, instilled into the offense and, you know, they disagreed and he kind of, you know, stormed out of the room. So there were disagreements. And I think that if they were going to trade him, it would have happened by now. Right. So I don't, he's, I, don't, I don't think he's ever going to go anywhere, man. I mean, at, least, at least not for the remainder of the next season or so. But you just never know. Anything could happen, right? We're just seeing it's kind of the same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Nobody knows what his future looks like in Green Bay. So it's, it will not surprise me if this guy finishes career somewhere. But as of right now, man, just do your best to protect the guy, right? If you wanted to go spend your three picks on offensive linemen, it would not surprise me. As a Chargers fan, I want them to do the same thing for Justin Herbert. So <laughs> <laughs> if that's something they want to do, man, have that at for you have to protect your quarterback. So that's, that's my spiel. So, wait, uh, so you brought up Herbert. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just completely change the subject um, uh, to that because he was, uh, we're up, I'm up here in the Pacific Northwest, right? We're right on the border to Oregon. So it was Herbert, Herbert, Herbert everywhere. Yeah. And you, this idea that he was going to be like, you know, for top pick overall, maybe the top five, somewhere in there. And then you get into the draft process, like this time of year, and he was getting torn apart. Yeah. And people were talking about him. He's just going to be a bust. He isn't the guy that everyone thought he was. So he fell a little bit in the draft. The Chargers got him. And then he goes out and plays like, he's going to be an absolute star like from someone who's not up here where we're you know kind of living in 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 justin herbert land um what was like what was your expectation did you expect him to be that superstar or did you expect him to be more like the guy they were talking about during the draft process i don't think anybody if you're if anybody's going to tell you they've seen herbert do what he just did they're lying to you um i was so pro sit him for a year let Terod taylor do his thing but then now that you don't know what you have in these kids until you play them, right? So that's why a good example would be that's why the Jets were comfortable trading Darnold away. We're going to take Zach Wilson at two, like we presume them to be. We're just going to throw them in the fire, and we just got to see what we have. Um, Anthony Lynn held him back, right? So we get a new head coach. You get, you know, and it's he just to do what he did. In my opinion, that was the greatest rookie season we've seen from a quarterback statistically. Man, he just was out of his mind. Um, he's still learning. It's just he got a lot of unwarranted hate, right? And the offense in Oregon held him back is really what it was, right? So it wasn't so much of what he couldn't do, it was what he wasn't allowed to do. 
And it's just the way that they play football up there. My dad lives in Seattle and he's always in Eugene a lot. He actually met uh, Herbert once. Um, but um, I just, it's, man, it's a system, man. You got the dude who's physically gifted, 6'6", huge arm. He came to the Chargers and we just let him be himself, man. Rip it, throw the ball down the field. He can be one read heavy. You know, Ken Allen had like a hundred and something targets last year and rightfully so it's Ken Allen. But <laughs> I'm just, I was just surprised, man. I, I'm really surprised. I'm, I'm expecting a little bit of a sophomore slump. There's a whole season of film out there, but who knows, man, with Brandon, Brandon Staley coming in as a new offensive scheme, I, who knows, he could be better. And it's kind of scary if the kid continues to grow, to be honest. Yeah, because it looks like, you know, um, between, you know, him there and then Mahomes and, you know, th- that that division is going to be tough. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at what Seattle deals with in the, the NFC West, it's a tough yeah. division. And the AFC West is looking it, like it's building up to be, you know, one heck of a division as well. So, um, it's fun being out west. I think the NFC West <laughs> is the best division in football, to be honest with you. You're not going to get any disagreements from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they did improve a little bit, and we're going to talk about that in, in just a bit. Let's let's get into kind of what Seattle's done um, in, in the offseason as far as free agency is concerned. Um, I know that you don't follow the team a lot, but there was a lot of concern heading into free agency uh, as with a number of clubs um, in these uh, turbulent times with COVID-19, the uh, salary cap restrictions and, and reduction from, from where it should have been and so forth. So a lot of teams didn't obviously couldn't plan for that and, and are just dealing with it this year. Seattle was in the same boat. I think we entered free agency with four or $5 million in salary cap. Their first move going in was to release Carlos Dunlap, who they just acquired mid-season last year had a real nice effect on the team, but he had a $14 million cap hit. All of it was unguaranteed. They just weren't going to keep that contract. They needed that money. And, but they also wanted Dunlap to come back. No sure thing that he, that he did, he ended up coming back, but uh, they started out with that move and slowly, but surely after the first week and, and most of the major rush and big spending is over, Seattle starts to play their game and ended up, actually pretty well. They let um, Shaquille Griffin uh, go ahead and, and leave. Um, and, and he found a team that was willing to pay them uh, in, in Jacksonville. Uh, some of the other, you know, lower end uh, free agents for Seattle uh, went ahead and left, but Seattle started bringing their guys back. Car, uh, Chris Carson came back, Ethan Posick, their center, Nick Ballore, their special team star. Um, you know, and then we made the big trade for Gabe Jackson. You mentioned that earlier. I think that was a, was kind of a key thing for uh, Russell Wilson and for the offense. I think regardless of Russell Wilson, we kind of make a move like that because we needed a left guard. Uh, um, uh, Michael Potty uh, retired in the offseason. And then Akella Witherspoon, I thought was a good value at, at corner. Gerald Everett, uh, the tight end from the Rams, kind of a move guy that, that can uh, get open in space and then create. And um, just kind of want your thoughts generally about those types of moves. Some of the contract signings ended up uh, turning out to be uh, real good value because uh, Seattle, for one of the first times, kind of pushed some money out in some voidable years, uh, took some uh, bonus money uh, up front so that the 2021 cap hits were uh, greatly reduced and allowed them to keep uh, stay competitive in the last move that they made is uh, re-signing Tyler Lockett to the extension. So just overall, what do you, what do you think? I think the signing that surprised me the most 
over the return, I should say, is Chris Carson. It almost felt like it was a foregone conclusion that he was not coming back. <laughs> um, so he came back, and uh, I think the team is better when Carson when they're running the football, right? So it's good that they got him back. Um, Akella Wurderstone, man, underrated corner, in my opinion. I think the scheme that they played in in San Francisco did him wonders. Seattle loves the long-ranging corners, man. That's just what they breed upon, right? That's just what they like. Um, so I think Witherspoon is there. Um, I know it's very clear that they wanted Shaquille Griffin to return, but just not for the contract that Jacksonville gave them. Um, they paid him more money, right? And I think, like you said, with the cap space, you know, just wasn't going to permit itself. I'm not sure what they offered him. But for him, you go back home, right? He's a Florida boy. So, I mean, you know, good on your yeah, they, good they family contract. They a three-year, $40 million deal, which was, yeah. you know – not double what Seattle was willing to do, but you know, pretty close. I mean, Seattle was yeah. probably willing to go somewhere in the uh, seven to nine million range, maybe yeah. at the at the top end, and uh, that just wasn't going to happen. I, I it wasn't, and uh, health was a concern for him last year. Also, I think he's a good player, but you know, he wasn't fully healthy last year. Uh, man, that's, the trade for Gabe Jackson's huge. A lot of people have a lot of centers being mocked to Seattle, so I would, would like to get you guys. Comments on Fiocchi as your as your center. Um, is he a solid starter? Is he somebody just a swing guy? You know, um, overall, Jared Everett was, was really nice to me. Uh, I, I for one want the Chargers to push for him heavy, and Seattle swoop him up. Good move for them. He's a move guy, like you said. He's a guy you can get in space, you can scheme him touches. So I'm sure that's somebody that Russell Wilson's going to love as offense. I, the Jimmy Graham days were really good in Seattle, right? He was a red zone target. He wasn't quite the athlete that Everett is in terms of moving around, right? And creating separation the way he does but I think the tight ends are extremely important in the Seahawks offense and they haven't had that real tight end threat in a little while so Everett can you know really spark you know spark something into the offense the Tyler Lockett extension I think was huge he's well deserving of that man um he's really good football player he's gonna man fit into Seattle's offense well I overall for for the not having a lot of cap space I think the votable years thing is something that a lot of teams did this year just so like you said the 2021 cap hit is not so heavy um, it could be something that becomes an issue later down the road, you know what I mean? But as for right now, when the cap going down and it's COVID, you, you have to do what you have to do, especially to, to spend money to, to, you know, get some weapons on your offense. So I overall think they did a solid, solid job in free agency. Nothing too sexy, nothing too great, but just good enough. I think the Gabe Jackson trade was awesome. You know, it's kind of weird what the Raiders are doing and you know, they're getting rid of all their offensive linemen. That was and, interesting. What do you what do yeah. you think about that? I mean, they're in your division. What did you think about the guys just kind of jettisoning that entire group? Uh, I think it's guys. a, I think it's a culture thing, right? Incognito is a really good player. They get rid of him. Um, a lot of players wanted out, right? They traded Rodney Hudson away. He was waiting happier than than hell to get out of Vegas for some reason. I think I really think it's a culture thing, man. But the team is really good when they're running the football, right? Derek Carr's at his best when the offensive line is good. So they, you know, they trade these guys away. They give Cole Miller the extension, and then now they're going to sit in a position where they're going to have to draft the right tackle, <laughs> right? So it's kind of weird. Why give away these guys just to go put in a rookie who may or may not pan out when you, for sure, you you knew what you were getting in your guys, right? They traded Trent Brown, which is just weird. I'm not sure what their plan is as far as you know the future looks, but it's what again year four or five for them. They haven't been in the playoffs. Gruden's on a ten year deal, hundred million dollars, right? They haven't really drafted very well, you know, since. Um, the two have been together. So it's kind of a weird situation what they have going on over there. Yeah. Uh, who, who knows, right? <laughs> you I can't mean, explain it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it, it is kind of crazy. So uh, let's, let's stay on the conversation of looking outside um, of, of the Seahawks organization, but stay in our own division and look at uh, uh, some of the other teams, Arizona, the Rams, the 49ers, 
you know, what were they doing in the off season? Did Seattle stay up, uh, up with them? Did we pass them up? Or is there another team that, that kind of stood out to you? Um, as far as, um, San Francisco, you know, is, is concerned. Um, they actually had a, a pretty decent off season and they're going to have a pretty decent draft. Um, you know, they, they were able to, um, to retain a lot of guys. They lost a few, um, uh, re-signing Trent Williams, uh, to a deal w- was, was a good deal. Uh, they did lose Kerry Hyder. I forgot to mention that earlier to the Seahawks on a really friendly, uh, cap friendly deal, um, to be kind of the base defensive end guy, uh, in there, uh, definitely an upgrade. Um, so, and then, uh, San Francisco had probably the biggest move in the off season overall, uh, when they traded, um, out of the 12th pick up to the number three pick overall with Miami and, um, sent Miami the, the number 12 and two future first round picks likely now Garoppolo's jettisoned and they're going to, they're going to pick somebody. I wanted to kind of get your take on who they're going to take. There's a lot of Matt jo- or Mac Jones chatter out there. And I'm just not sure about that. Although he would be a good fit, but not at number three. Like you should have stayed at 12 if you wanted to, to exactly. get in line with, with that pick, I thought. And mm-hmm. uh, so now you, you got to be thinking Trey Lance or Justin Fields, right? Or is there something else that's going on? I mean, you don't move up that far with that much draft capital to not get a quarterback. So. The Mac Jones smoke, we'll start there. I, you know, Adam Schefter was on a podcast yesterday. I can't remember whose it was. And they were just asking him, you know, who do you think the pick is? And he goes, I think it's Mac Jones. You know, Schefter's plugged in, obviously, more than anybody you'll ever talk to, right? So if he's saying that, chances are is he knows something. Um, Justin Fields is going to have a second. Yeah, Justin Fields is going to have a second pro day, and Shanahan and John Lynch will attend that pro day. Um, I know people are all up in arms because Shanahan and Lynch went to the Mac Jones Pro Day and the assistant general manager for the San Francisco 49ers was at Justin Fields Pro Day. It, this happens all the time. Belichick doesn't go to every, you know what I mean? It's, 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 what, it's the Pro Day season. So I'm not going to put too much har- harp too much on the whole Pro Day thing, but Mac Jones to me is just going to be a game manager quarterback. And I'm significantly lower on him than a lot of guys because he's limited, right? He's, you can't in, in today's NFL when you use Russell Wilson as a good example, you know, a lot of Kyler Murray is one too. A lot of guys who are having success in the league who are, you know, climbing the ladder as good good or great quarterbacks, you know, minus what Tom Brady, but a lot of them have the ability to create after the play, right? The ability to play out of structure is extremely important in today's NFL. And Max Jones can't do that. And Kyle Shanahan has made it like very clear that he wants a quarterback who can move around a little bit. He's hinted at that multiple times. So it's just really strange to me that, okay, we trade up to three for Mac Jones, a guy who doesn't, doesn't play great out. Sense. doesn't make any sense. He doesn't play out of structure very well. His process gets extremely rushed when there's pressure in his face. Yes, he's smart. Right? Yes, he's very accurate. He comes from saving trees. So you know he's well coached. He understands the pro-style offense. But his arm is average, right? Deep ball is going to die on him. And yeah. what happens and when it's third and They already have ten- that quarterback in Garoppolo, essentially, That's right? That's it. So, you know, and the only reason that Shanahan's offense is limited in San Francisco is because they don't have anybody that can really extend drives, extend plays, throw over the top, um, stretch the defense. They can play a great horizontal game, but that's that's the limit. And we saw that uh, clearly in the playoffs where Garoppolo just, you know, the wheels kind of fell off. He really couldn't complete passes that would have been a better position to take the game. So Um, if you were San Francisco, who would you take in that spot? 
I Justin Fields is my QB two. So as you know, with the Zach Wilson being foregone conclusion to the Jets, I'm taking right. Justin Fields. But um, a lot of guys who are you know plug, significantly more plugged in than I am and smarter than I am in the scouting world say that Trey Lance is a better fit. I think they're both great fits, right? I think Trey Lance, you know, has more experience in the pro-style offenses because North Dakota State was more of a pro-style type deal. But, man, in that outside zone type scheme, you know, moving the pocket play action, I think Phil or Lance would be extremely successful in that offense, man. But that just it, they know who they're taking. You don't trade up to number three without knowing who oh, yeah. you're taking. I totally so I, agree. I think it's a, a smoke thing. I think it's somebody who wants to trade up um, for Mac Jones, right? It could be the Falcons who called and said, hey, man, I need you guys to drive up the value on Mac Jones, right? Because now all of a sudden, Schefter tweets out, teams are calling the Falcons for the fourth overall pick. That's exactly right. right. So it, it, it's, it's lying season. This is what happens every single year. <laughs> is what I, It's lying season. So <laughs> I don't think they're going to take Mac Jones because, like you said, it's the same quarterback that's already on the roster. It's Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what that is. You'd essentially be drafting the same guy who you'd be wanting to replace in four to five years. With the third overall pick, I can't take a limited player like that. That's just my honest opinion. So what? So why is Fields your your QB two over Lance? I just I want to hear your take on it. I okay, we'll start here. I think the level of competition is worthy of talking about, um, and it's I, a, I a huge concern I have with Zach Wilson also. And I think Zach Wilson uh, is a boom or bust prospect. Either he's going to be really good or he's going to be really bad. There's no in between with Zach yeah, Wilson. One one year and, really, of, yes, of really great. Yes. And with, with, with Fields, a lot of people like to say, oh, he's a one-read quarterback. Oh, he, he's staring down his guys. Just take a second and go watch the Ohio State offense, right? It's been simple since way back when. We can go back to the Terrell Pryor, Braxton Miller days. Dude, it's, it's the offense that has been instilled in Ohio State, and it's always going to be like that. It's a simple mesh concept, right? It's a simple offense. They run option routes. Nine times out of ten, it's Ohio State. His number one receiver is open. Who else am I supposed to throw it to if my number one guy is open, right? I'm doing my job. And yes. if you really want to say, oh, he's the one-read quarterback, then go watch Zach Wilson and you tell me what he's doing because there's plenty of times where he's looking around, oh, nobody's open, Dax Milne, just throw it up, right? So it's the same thing. He sh- Fields has shown the ability to play out of structure. He has a sh- strong arm. He's accurate. He's smart. He's mobile. He's tough. He has shown the ability to actually go through his progressions, go back and watch the, the Clemson game. He tore that defense apart and, and the play, he just tore him apart. So I think that people who are saying he's a one read quarterback, it's more harping on what his offense asked him to do and not what he's not able to do. I think he's more than capable of, of, of going through progressions. He, yeah, that's he needs what to speed I saw up the too. Process. Yeah. Speed up the process, right. Play a little faster. I think he can hold the ball too long. Right. But, it's just, he has what I call Deshaun Watson syndrome. If you have watched Deshaun Watson play, which I know you have, I, I'm, I'm going to wait in the pocket. And Dak Prescott does it sometimes too. I'm going to hold the ball at the last second and I'm going to make my move. And yeah, Russell Wilson does the same thing. It's yeah, the nature the of wanting to be competitive and make yes. a play. It just is. Yes, yeah. that's just what it is. So, so um, I asked that question because my, when, I, when I scouted uh, Fields, the first thing I noticed was that in almost every game, the talent of his weapons was way better than the talent yes. of the defense. Yes. And it just made everything so easy. And I was yes. like, that's not going to be true at the NFL. And um, it, re- it wasn't anything that he did or didn't do in, on the tape. It was more of a, I don't know what he can do or not do. Because he was just, you know, that whole offense was like, you know, men among boys. Like they were, they were just dominant. And yeah. um, with, with, um, with Trey Lance, like he was that good, 
but none of his weapons were special. No. I mean, yeah, it's level of competition, uh, but he's throwing to guys that, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't even get a scholarship at Ohio State. Um, and, uh, so I don't know. I just, I felt like I'm like, he threw those guys open. He, he made that thing work and Fields never had to. So for me, it's about mitigating risk, right? Fields yeah. probably has the higher ceiling, but it's more of a risk, lower floor. So I have, I had Lance two and Fields three. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh no, I had, well, Wilson was in there too, but it's like that group, all three of them are kind of that They're group. They're close, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to hear, get your take on it. Cause for me, it was more like, I just don't know how good he is because he, everyone around him was so much better than anybody. The Clemson game that you brought up though, is that one is not true in that game. Right. And he tore that defense up. That, that is a very talented defense and he tore them. So I, I think honestly that, right. Like I, I hate using this example because it looks so bad now, but when Carson Wentz came out of North Dakota state, right. He played right away. He read, he had an MVP season. He gets hurt. And like the gloves of competition and Carson Wentz, his, his mechanics were awful at North Dakota state and they're still awful now. It just comes with his game, but mm-hmm. Trey Lance throws a mean fastball has a strong arm. I do think the accuracy comes and goes. And I think that's where Fields edged him out for me is the accuracy. And um, I just, man, it just kind of scares me that we're just going to throw this kid from North Dakota state in and just start day one. You know what I mean? It's the same with that yeah. course. And I think the jump from BYU is humongous, but at the same time, I can't be a hypocrite on my own word, right? You don't know what you have until you, until you play them. So you have to play these dudes regardless. It's just, it worries me that where you go and where you get drafted matters a ton. Culture is important. Coaching mm-hmm. is important. So Zach Wilson going to an Adam Gaseless Jets is the best thing that could have ever happened to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the best thing. Well, so Robert, he, Robert Sale is a really, really good coach. Yeah. He really yes, he is, is very good. And a so, great I, culture guy. You know, the, yeah. the whole, um, just getting back to the 49ers just really quick and we'll put them to bed. They've got nine <laughs> picks this year too. Yeah. Complete win now mode. They've got a great roster. A quarterback away. Suffered the the total injury bug. I mean, the worst injury thing I've ever seen. I kid you not. And Seattle's had a couple of those years. They were they were the worst. And um and then and then the Garoppolo thing and and the the Beathard quarterback stuff. It they never got in sync. They've got nine picks. They went up to get the number uh, three overall pick so they can get their guy. And they have got a rest. The rest of the roster is nice and built. They've got uh, Kyle Shanahan sitting there waiting that quarterback and then everything's going to kind of fall into place i think their roster now lines up to be fairly strong for for the next two or three years while this while this happens and it it adds to the competition level in this division so uh on the opposite end of this the spectrum but still big news overall is the jared goff trade to detroit for matthew stafford and, and the rams i thought initially that was a really good deal for the Rams, bad for us because I want Jared Goff to be their quarterback for a long time. And it was a bad, it was a bad contract. And I thought it would have lasted a little longer and I wanted him to hold on. But um, other than that, they really suffered from having very low cap space this year. And they didn't have a lot of um, uh, free agents that were leaving, but they, they, those that were going to leave left. They really didn't retain a lot of guys. They, they made the deal for Leonard Floyd on a, on a, on a re-up. And, um, and that's about it in free agency. And, uh, and then in the draft, um, there's not a lot of draft capital. They're kind of similar uh, to Seattle in that way. They've got a couple picks in the top hundred and then uh, a couple more along the way. And um, it just seems like they took a step back this year. 
And of course, with the adjustment on Stafford, even though he's going to probably be a better fit in that offense and give them more opportunities to, to win, I'm not going to discount them because they do have a solid roster and they, you know, they, they handled Seattle uh, last year when it, when it mattered. But overall, I thought we had some, some really nice increases in places that, um, that we needed to upgrade and they didn't. That's, that's my only take with them. How do you see that? So this may be a hot take, but I, I think right now the Rams are the best team in the division. I think that Stafford trade is what got them there. <laughs> I, this, this is the thing. I, I think that Goff was limiting the offense, and McVay obviously oh, seen that, right? We can all agree. And I think these NFL teams put themselves in bad positions by immediately giving these second-year, three-year quarterbacks extensions. I am in no rush to extend Josh Allen. I am in no rush to extend Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, right? The more I see it from you, I feel more comfortable giving you that money. Just because Goff, you know, was on the roster and he had a good year, you guys got to the Super Bowl, that contract exploded in your face. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for trading draft picks away for already – developed veteran players i.e Jalen ramsey you know what i mean stafford i'm I'm all for that but at some point you gotta win because not having a capital it puts your scouts in a tough position you have to hit on your day two and day three picks every single year and that's harder than it, it's easier said than done it's really hard it's easy to draft in round one if you ask me it, at least it should be there's so many players available to you but they did that last year. I think the Rams drafted very well. They got some some good play out of guys they got in, on day two or day three, and they're comfortable with that. That's why they continue to you know, trade these picks away. But getting Stafford was huge because if you're Detroit, you know, we're going to get two first-round picks from you guys because, one, we're taking on this disgusting contract. <laughs> so you're going to have to give us an extra first-round pick. So that, that was that there. But for the, for the Rams, they're in win-now mode, right? We're going to get Stafford. Um, he's going to play out the rest of his deal. And they're going to try to go get it all. about the division, Saray, because I think yeah. the entire division is in win-now mode. And, and normally that doesn't really line up all the time, right? It's one yeah. team surges, the other team's trying to catch up. Right now, everyone's kind of in the same boat, including the Arizona Cardinals. They end up picking J.J. Watt up, um, Malcolm Butler, A.J. Green signed on with them, Rodney Hudson, you mentioned the trade at center from, the, uh, from Vegas. Um, just... You know, they're doing a pretty decent job. I have to say they've got a plan and they've been executing the plan. And um, they got DeAndre Hopkins last year. Uh, you know, the whole thing's kind of coming together for them. And they're probably an offensive line away from being very, very competitive. And we'll see what happens. Um, you know, they've got the 16th pick overall and the 49th pick overall. If they want to upgrade their offensive line, they they have two picks that they can go and do that. I... uh before I give it over to you, Keith, I think that this is a make or break year for Cliff Kingsbury. You've got to get into the playoffs. I agree. I totally because agree. If it's the losing season, my man, you're on the hot seat, right? You have no NFL coaching experience. We fired our coach after one year. We got it, rid of it, Rosen after one yeah, year. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of the Cleveland Browns in, in yes. a sense, in that they built their roster year after year, high draft picks. And then they got uh, a quarterback and then everyone kind of expected them to take a step forward and they kind of stayed the same. And last year they finally, they finally made it, but Coaching, it like man. for two or three years, I thought that they were going to make that step and they just never did. Yeah. And Arizona's kind of the same and Keith feels the same way about uh, Cliff as well is that 
they seem like they have a, a, a ceiling just from the, the coaching perspective that's kind of going to keep that team down. I don't know yet. I don't, I don't think the story's completely been written. I think this is the year, though. You're right, that that team's got to step up. I don't want them to, but <laughs> if, if from their perspective, the team's got to step up because the roster's going to be pretty loaded. Well, and I was just going to ask, you know, your take on Cliff King, Kingsbury, because this is a guy that just gotten fired uh, at the college rank yeah. ranks for not winning um, and took a job as an offensive coordinator. And then Arizona calls and offers him a head coaching job. I'm like, it just seemed like, like a weird hire. I know they, they wanted, they were, they were hiring a scheme, not yeah. a coach. Yeah. Um, and they couldn't have gotten someone who actually looked like he knew how to be a head coach and have the scheme. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Um, but has he shown anything to you since getting to Arizona that makes you think he's going to be successful? Other than knowing Kyler Murray since he was a high school kid and they've both been running the air raid offense since they've been playing football or coaching football. That's it, right? He's still learning how to be a head coach in terms of clock management. Um, he's a player's coach. You can kind of get that players relate to him a lot. And that goes a long way in a locker room, which is why it was kind of hard for the chargers to move on from Anthony Lynn. Right. So um, I also think this is a huge year for Kyler Murray. I'm a huge Kyler guy. He's one of the highest graded quarterback prospects that I've graded since I've been covering the draft. Um, he's got to develop as a passer because the arm talent is there, but I think the intermediate throws and the layer throws, that's something he's just still not comfortable yet doing. And it's the air raid offense, man. How successful has the air raid ever been in NFL? If we can be honest, it's not really a thing. So I think they need to reinvent the offense, man, because there's a lot of times where they limit DeAndre Hopkins, who's a top three receiver in the league, to the routes he can run. And that's stupid, in my opinion, just for lack of a better word. But you you have to reinvent your offense. And I think bringing in J.J. Watt is cool, man. Him and Chandler Jones is scary. You put Absolutely. him and Chandler Jones to get to the division, <laughs> if man. Healthy, I, I, if he's healthy. If he's healthy, exactly. So if those two were healthy – you can't double team them. Be, what are you going to do? Double team Watt. Now Chandler Jones is one-on-one. -on -one. You double team Jones. Now Watt's one-on-one. -on -one. So it's a weird situation. I think that corner is a need for them. Running back is a need. I would not be surprised if the Cardinals drafted a running back in the first round with Kenyon Drake, you know, leaving. Um, it's man, they have the receivers there. Like you said, they're one offensive line. If a tackle falls to them that they really, really like, you have to take them. Um, the offense in terms of weapons is there. I do think they're running back is there, but I think, you know, this running back class, you can maybe find value in the later rounds. Um, it's just hard, man. I, I think that they're only up and up. I think they're getting better, but if Kyler doesn't improve this year, it's going to worry me a little bit. And if they don't, you know, they were almost in the playoffs and it just, just, just fell off late last year. I don't know what happened, man. It just didn't win the games they were supposed to win. Kyler got the injury. So I think they're close, but they're just not there yet. I'm with you on Kyler Murray. Um, and he's on a rival team. So, you know, um, like you don't want him to be good. Man, yeah. that kid, the kid's good. He's special. He's like, so special. He, he playing, watching, you know, having him play against Seattle uh, is like, ah, uh, so this is what it felt like for all those other teams playing against Russell Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, man, because he just, he, you just can't sack him. He just, no matter what you, no matter what you send at him, he gets away from it. It's really frustrating. But at the same time, you, God, the talent is just amazing. You just got, you got undeniable. You got to just, you got to just enjoy it. Even if he's cutting your team apart, you just, you got to enjoy the fact that you're watching something that's truly like unique and special in, in that kid. So I love it. I agree. I agree. Sir, I got a question for you. Uh, why did we have you on the show? 
I'm, 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 I'm having a hard time here. I know there's a reason. And it, it was oh, NFL draft. draft yeah, and, that's it. And, that's it. Uh, yeah. 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 Welcome to the Seahawks Playbook Podcast with uh, Keith Myers. Uh, <laughs> still asking questions about the Arizona Cardinals at the 40 minute mark. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, you're not. Yeah, we, we, we both drive this ship. We, we know it. All right, let's talk Seahawks draft. Um, it's it's not lined up to be a special year as, as a no. draft. Uh, we normally like to go in and watch these things because nobody can predict exactly what Schneider's going to do. He can move up on you. He can uh, drop back, pick up additional picks. Sometimes he, you know, he comes away. I don't think the minimum amount of picks that they've had is like eight. And, um, and now they've started out the draft with three. They just recently sent a, a pick out on the Jackson uh, trade. So now uh, with the 56 overall pick is the first pick and then the 20, uh, 129 overall in the fourth round and 250 overall. It's not a lot of draft capital to move around. I'm sure they'll probably try to do some of that, but let's talk about team needs and try to maybe line those up with a few prospects that we can talk about a little bit. Um, I think Keith and I, have, we've talked, most of the time we we land on cornerback um we picked up weatherspoon but we don't know yet for sure if he's going to end up being a starter they found a guy in reed last year he's a little undersized for what seattle likes but they really like the way that he can cover so that's one spot for sure but it looks like they probably at a minimum would need some depth at that position the center position seems obvious you asked if what we think about posick earlier we think that he was re-signed on a vet minimum deal basically as a placeholder. He did okay last year, you know, uh, yeah. but that's definitely the weakest link remaining on the offensive line. And then um, maybe take, uh, take a look at like a wide receiver three type deal. We already know we got two guys at the top, um, but, but somebody to kind of come in there and compliment um, Freddie Swain's on the roster we picked up last year in the sixth round. We don't know yet quite what we have with him if he can uh, be that reliable guy in that third wide receiver spot. But we know Shane Waldron's going to want to toss the ball around a little bit, especially to receivers in, in space. And so maybe identifying a couple of fits there would be great. So why don't we start with corner and just uh, who do you like in this draft? Um, what are you seeing out there? Are there some risers and fallers, mid middle round guys, maybe that, uh, that you have your eye on? Well, in terms of what, Seattle's going to have available, so we don't really have to mention the top guys. But um, Eric Stokes, I think he would fit well, the cornerback from Georgia, with what they want to do. Zone coverage, playing off man, very smart. Um, That's one of Keith's guys. Yeah, Eric Stokes is a good guy, man. Um, a guy where I also wrote down, he said to Malafonwu, that fits the bill in terms of what Seattle looks mm -hmm. for, a 6'3", rangy, long, athletic corner. Maybe versatile enough to play some safety. I wrote down Paul Smedivo, man. Um, didn't really have a 2020 season. I opted out, but man, 2018 tape was like first round tape. It was like, yeah, I'm first round. Like a lot of guys had him corner one going in the summer, and then 2019 happened. I was like, geez, what happened to Paul Smedivo? But this is a guy who's going to fit your scheme and your system in terms of zone coverage. Um, he's going to show the willing and the ability to want to come up and tackle. Doesn't always make the tackle, but he's going to be willing to come do that. Wasn't that his his big thing? Was he was kind of a, a missed tackle guy? Miss tackle guy, man, and just if you go turn on the Central Florida film, Gabe Davis, who's now with the Bills, uh, man, just tore him up, double moves, his eye discipline. He just looked like a just totally different player in 2019. And if that's where we're having a base off of, man, it's just like it's just we're going off just projection because your best season was three years ago, 2018, right? So it's uh it's hard, but 
if you know, most, just, most big boards have have him going in the top 120 picks uh, yeah a, a lot of those even sooner yeah. than that yeah um what are they basing that on 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 just upside physical attributes speed length um the ability to play in a, in a diverse scheme i mean what has he got going for him that, that makes him on your list I think it's the upside. Um, another guy I'd like to mention is Benjamin Say Juice, corner yeah, from yeah, yeah. Uh, Minnesota. He's my, he's my guy. Yeah, man, also fits the bill of what Seattle likes. But um, I think it's upside, right? I think it's, you know, he showed the ability to play at an extremely high level in the Pac-12. And it's just a weird year where COVID guys are opting out. And you just have to go off this to film watch, right? And if you're the Seahawks, you're like, dude, we need a corner, man you just have to sit down and ask yourself, is this a guy who can come in and be a, a solid starter for us? Which I think he can be a starting NFL cornerback. There's stuff to clean up, of course, with every rookie coming in. Like, like nobody's a, a, a perfect prospect. But I think it's just upside. And the, the when you see a 2018 season like he had, you're like, yeah, okay, there's no way I can just put that in the blind eye, right? It's just always going to be back in your mind because he put on such good tape. So I think that's what it is. I think it's upside. But I think you're looking on banking on upside with – all prospects, right? You always want to think about what they bring to the to, to the table and what they can bring to your team. So I think Adiba would be a really, really good fit for Seattle. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I've been watching uh, Benjamin St. Juice, and he's put out a couple of interviews out there. Very um, nice guy, but very competitive. He's got, got that fire thing going on. Yeah. Very confident guy. Um, obviously fits the the size length speed uh, ratio for Seattle coming in at like a, a four five forty, but his mm-hmm. um, his short shuttle at three nine six insane at six three with thirty two inch arms and eighty inch wingspan that guy can play anywhere. So yeah. I mean, if he <laughs> scheme wise, right? He he's he's got the juke enough to play on the inside. And then you can you can put him on the outside on press or or in zone, and um, a guy like that is just invaluable on on a team, especially with his mindset. Um, I think I think Pete Carroll's like all over that guy. Um, I, I don't know for sure. I just know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, how about center? You know, uh, this is one of those things that kind of ties back into the Russell Wilson deal, um, where we thought they would go into free agency and and possibly upgrade center. We thought it probably was more likely they'd try to do guard, but then stuff started flying off the board. Seattle was in a couple deals. They didn't get them. And then they made the trade. And then they signed Posick again on a one-year deal, which which to us means that we're going to draft a guy. Um, Does it come early on or does it come midway through the draft? What is your take on, you know, a couple of the, of the centers you really like in the draft and maybe something that Seattle would, would land on? I think after the situation we just talked about with him being happy with not being hit, that first pick needs to be some sort of an offensive lineman. I think we can all agree on that. Um, three names I wrote down that would be available to you guys, I think. Drake Jackson from Kentucky, Josh Myers from Ohio State, and if you're lucky, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Um Reed Humphrey's probably the best of the bunch of those three guys I just named, man. Extremely smart guy, man. He just gets the job done, knows what he's doing, good run blocker. And Pete Carroll obviously, you know, loves his run blockers. So um, I think all three of those guys are going to project as starting centers in the NFL, depending on where they go. Um, but I, I really think that if you can get Creed Humphrey, man, that'd be awesome. Just corner is a huge need, but it, protecting your quarterback is even more important. And we can all agree that it's just, it's year nine or what, year 10 for Russell now. So it's 
he's he's done he's done being hit (laughs) so if you can land one of those centers man i think man really a physical center is what pete Carroll's going to look for right somebody Mm -hmm. who's going to be a a mauler in the run game move people off the ball which i think these guys can do um it's really just about where they value these guys and you know how they have them graded out right if maybe there's not a center on at you know in that in that second round pick that they just don't think that you know hey i'm not going to take this guy you know i mean that you got to take to predict too with Shane Waldron and the stretch zone stuff. Exactly. You're going to ask guys to get out in space a little bit more in this offense yeah. as opposed to being a bulldoze kind of guy. So a guy like yeah. Drake Jackson um, from Kentucky is actually kind of an underrated zone scheme fit. I yeah. think for Seattle in the mid rounds, like if he's available in the fourth round, um, that would be a good fit. If they're going to yeah. go up and get somebody at, at 256 or they're going to drop back a little bit you might target a guy like um, Humphrey if he's there. If he's I there, doubt yeah. he's probably going to go earlier than that. But a guy like Quinn Miners might be an interesting fit. You know, he played guard yeah. at that senior bowl performance. You he know, after good. watching that, it's like you can just imagine that sort of a mauler guy that's still yeah. somewhat athletic um, to be able to to lock down that spot for you for a long time. Keith, what do you yeah. think? You're the, you're the offensive uh, line guy in this in this show. What do you think? Well, you know, you know, I like Myers um, from Ohio State, it, not just because he's got a good last name, um, but <laughs> so wait for Paul to get that joke. <laughs> um, but no, you could, I, I, he's a technician. I mean, the guy, the guy just doesn't, he, he doesn't waste a lot of mo- movement with his feet. Uh, it's, 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 it's there. I, I think he's going to be a really good one at the next level. I know you like Miners. I think he's he is a high. I really ups. like uh, Josh Myers as well. I think that he's probably the second best center, true center mm-hmm. in the draft. I really do. I mean, you you take a look at Dickerson. You take a look at Humphrey. Dickerson, the the injury thing, injury um, and man, then the yeah. one year experience at, at Alabama. I know he was yeah. awesome, but nonetheless, I think Josh Myers proven. Um, consistently that that he's definitely getting the job done i would feel more confident putting him in there as a day one starter i think yeah um and then you know i mean i i didn't didn't think about about humphrey mainly just because i didn't expect him to be available i i see him going you know early 40s seattle doesn't pick till 56 so i'm yeah. like yeah I, that's, I, that's that's true so I, for me, I'd be like, if he drops and he's there and Seattle doesn't pick him, I'll be pissed. But um, but I, I just don't expect him to be there. That's why I kind of focused in on Myers is I think that he's going to be, because he's going to be that third center off the board. Um, and, and there and that'll be in that range in the, in the 50s. So I think that, I think he's going to be, be available there. But man, if a guy like Humphreys drops, go get him. You have no choice. <laughs> You, you know, the, the cool thing about the draft is it kind of lines up for the positions that Seattle's looking at, you know, cornerback, yeah. uh, the centers, the interior offensive linemen are fairly deep up through the, about the fifth round in this draft. Um, the same thing can be said for the wide receiver group. This to me is probably the best wide receiver groups in, what do you think? At least three years since 2017, easy, um, mm-hmm. where it's just loaded from top to bottom, I think, of guys that can come in and at least be very good rotational guys. And that's kind of what I think that we're looking for in this draft. Uh, after signing Tyler Lockett to the extension, we're no longer in the need for a draft hedge on that sort of a situation. But you could get a guy that's similar to Lockett um, because it works well with the offense that we're going to put in. But um, just looking at, at some guys in the probably the mid-round range or, or in that last pick that come in and develop you're not going to probably get your number three guy in the seventh round, but maybe that fourth round guy, there's still some guys there 
that could really have um, an impact on the roster, especially maybe in special teams, the return game, all that kind of stuff. Just if you've got a couple names. Oh man, that's tough because this, this class is so loaded, but I like Deami Brown from North Carolina a lot. Uh, Daz Newsom as well. Um, Sage Surratt from Wake mm-hmm. Forest. Uh, Seth Williams, Auburn. There's, there's a few guys that may yeah. be available later there that, you know, we're not asking you to, like you said, we're not asking you to come in and be number one or number two because we have those those filled, but we, we need you to come in and, and be the number three. So Deami Brown would really be my favorite fit for Seattle, man. I'm in total agreement with you. He's he's fun, and um, he's going to attack, man, space. He's going to take the top off of a defense. He's going to make plays with the football in his hand. He wasn't axed. Their offense in North Carolina was weird, man. The route trees they were axed to run, it's just it was just so odd, but – with the, like you said, with the, the, the new offense coming in with Waldron, I think that De'Ami Brown would fit so well with what they want to do. Russell Wilson would love that guy as a target. And it's just kind of a different mold of receiver that they haven't had in a while. You know, DK Metcalf, you're number one. You're, you know, you're in terms of size and speed, it's kind of like your Calvin Johnson prototype. And you have your Tyler Lockett, you're, you know, you're, you're efficient route runner. I'm looking for, you know, a guy to get open on third and five and going to Tyler Lockett. You know what I mean? So De'Ami Brown is going to take the top off the defense, right? He's going to, you know, short to intermediate areas of the field. He's just, Kind of can do it all, man. So I think DeAndre Brown would be my go-to guy if in the later rounds if he's there if I was Seattle. Nice. I like that. Yeah. I mean, there's. you're right. You could name like a dozen receivers in rounds three through five or two through yeah. um, five that would be guys that, that you would feel comfortable with, guys that have a little bit of size, length, some speed um, that would fit into that mold of, of being a, a second or third receiver. You start him out at, at number three or four and the guy, you know, progresses and, and moves up and eventually can be, uh, a guy there for you, um, as one of your two guys, eventually, um, Tylen Wallace is another guy that kind of fits that mold. Josh mm-hmm. Palmer's rising up a smaller guy, but just ha- takes the, the top off the defense. Like you said, is uh, Dwayne Eskridge, um, who's who's built for speed and and gives you some some options in the return game he's 25 um, years old how do you feel about Eskridge? Yeah, i mean it doesn't bother me we already me, have but... one of those guys on our roster that's never played it down uh, as yeah. a rookie and um he's close to <laughs> retirement already is our joke yeah yeah, yeah. so john ursula was drafted i think he was 26 During yeah he was 20 he was 25 but i think he he played his first yeah. nfl down at 26 but at least you um, only expel a seventh round pick for a guy like that but you know, yeah, when you when you draft up up higher, you're definitely going to want a, a younger prospect and a guy that can give you, um, you know, maybe maybe a couple contracts would would be nice. Keith, yeah. what are your thoughts overall on, on the draft and and the process and maybe the strategy that Seattle has? Well, I, I I'm actually not looking for for if I'm at the Seahawks and and looking at wide receiver, I'm not actually looking for a take the top off the defense guy. Um, I mean, if one's sitting there, you, you always take, you, you never, you can never say no to speed. Right. But you've got between Lockett and, and Metcalf, you've got um, two of the fastest guys that'll be on the field in any game. Um, what they don't have that uh, Waldron had in St. Louis or St. Louis, LA with the Rams. How about, you know, I picked, I picked the Rams. <laughs> that's, that's um, just went in the way back machine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not showing my age or anything. Um, no. So what what he had that that Seattle doesn't have on the roster is Cooper Cup, route and runner. That a route runner with size. That is basically yeah. your 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 big slot and big possession guy. Yep. Yep. And I, I those guys, you know, they're typically not special and they fall and you can get them 
mid to late. So maybe they get a guy like that in the fifth or sixth round that everyone's like, eh, he's not whatever. And then he comes in and puts up monster numbers because it fits the scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of why I'm looking at, at center early uh, and with that first pick, you know, uh, trying to get a cornerback in the mid rounds and then somewhere later in the draft, like go get your wide receiver, but go get one that fits the scheme that, that gives you some positional versatility because right now um, they lack that guy. So yeah, interesting. A guy like uh, she Smith is a little small, but he's a, a great possession guy, a little shifty. Um, oh, who's the guy? Not Josh Palmer. I was thinking of or Cornell Powell. Who's the teammate of Cornell Powell? Um, Amari Rogers. Amari, I was thinking Rogers, Amari yeah. Rogers is mm-hmm. kind of fits that um, golden Tate kind of vibe. He's built like a running back. Exactly. Yep. That, that sort of guy where he's going to challenge you uh, for the ball and uh, win those 50, 50 things. He's not terribly, um fast he's not terribly a good size you know he's six six foot or whatever two 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 oh five or two ten or something like that um but a guy that just knows how to run routes and a guy that just can catch the ball in, in a contested situation and knows what to do the ball with the ball in open space which i think is going to be the key in this offense and and, yeah. and the key and what they might identify in this draft so um you know that's that's it that's a wrap i think that we we talked about a ton of stuff today. I was just kind of surprised how long we stayed with all that off season stuff. And, um, we kind of, we kind of blew through the draft stuff. We'll have to have you back on to, to talk, uh, draft stuff. Maybe after the draft, we get you on and, yeah. and uh, hear what you've got to, to say about uh, what Seattle did and all that kind of stuff. But it was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. It's great. On, Thanks for coming your on. Perspective. It's, it was outstanding. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. I truly appreciate it guys. So uh, where can we find you uh, out there in the interwebs? Well, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, uh, my Twitter name is at, you know, Saray underscore pool. Um, if you want to put that in your description or whatever, spell it yeah. out for you, whatever you guys want to do. It doesn't I'll, matter. I'll, um, I'll, I'll definitely do that. Yeah. Uh, we you talked about our podcast inside the war room with NFL draft Bible podcast network. Um, what are you guys coming up? What are you, what are you working on? So, man, we are actually in, in right now doing uh, positional rankings. Um, we just did our offensive tackle rankings, and we talked about the Sam Darnold trade, you know, possible landing spots for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, that was our last, you know, uh, podcast. We come out with a show every Tuesday, so um, be on the lookout for that. It's, it's a fun show, man. It's really a fun show. Nice. Excellent. All right. And you can find Keith at Myers NFL on Twitter. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of the shows, our website, all sorts of other features. Go out and find your favorite podcast app and subscribe on YouTube. We're on um, iHeartRadio, yeah, Stitcher, Spotify, everything that you can (laughs) do. We just got listed on Amazon uh, Podcasts as well. So um, it was great having you. Let's uh, get this thing out uh, and and promote it. And um, thank you again for coming on. Next show, uh, Keith and I are back on the prospect wagon where we're talking about uh, linebackers and safeties as we lead up to the draft. So don't miss that show. So until next time, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter. Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.
Social Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.